Welcome to Smart Branding, a podcast dedicated to branding, naming, and domain names. I'm Tatiana Bono, and with my guests, we try to help you create and grow strong, memorable, and meaningful brands online. I believe time is one of our most precious assets, and so I want to thank you in advance if you decide to spend the next 30 minutes with us. I promise to do my best to make those worth it. Let's go. So my guest today is Jackson Hedden. He's an industrial designer whose company designs unique products for startups, companies, and everything in between. Hi, welcome to our podcast, and thank you for making the time, Jackson. No, thank you for having me on. Um, it, it's a pleasure. So let's start with a little bit of a background. How did you get to do what you do? Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of like one of those old school um, type of careers. You can kind of think of it as like musicians or artists you kind of have to train under someone and then you have the ability to kind of open up your own firm. I had the lucky ability to train under some really famous guys. Uh, one was Karen Rashid. He's kind of considered one of the world's most famous industrial designers. Another firm that I was able to work with was RKS, which is another ancient dinosaur <laughs> that's considered <laughs> to be really famous. But um, traditionally, how you kind of get to open up your own firm or, or do something like this is you work with a lot of those old guys and then uh, those clients get to know you and then vice versa, you're, you're able to start your own thing. Mm-hmm. And how did you get into into design, like industrial design in particular? Like, was that something you dreamed of doing when you were little or, or how did that work out? You know, it's pretty interesting. I, um, it is something I did when I was really little. Um, when I was like really, really little, um, our, my family didn't have that much money, um, but we had a lot of junk laying around, um, broken mm-hmm. computers, stuff like that, nothing <laughs> that worked. Um, and my job or, or what I took upon myself as, as a young kid was to take apart everything that was broken. And so I just <laughs> took apart everything for like the longest period of time. And I loved kind of the internal mechanisms, the internal structures of, of the elements, also the design on the outside. But I really fell in love with kind of consumer products in general. Like it felt like such a, a, a tool, such a toy, just even a DVD player. Um, Mm. and then that kind of grew into, to what I, into, you know, high school went to basically study with a bunch of artists and then that grew into college and then college then grew into a corporate life. But yeah, it's always been there. It's always been a a thing of mine. Um, I, I used to challenge myself to take like a a computer monitor apart and then put it all back together uh, (laughs) when I was really little, like, it, it's just something that I've always found interest in because really like, um, as much as we, so, uh, just for like side note and kind of information, industrial design actually is the combination of graphic design and architectural design. Um, mm. that's where industrial design kind of came to a culmination in it and became, um, and so if you think of it like that, um, at one point, uh, industrial designers were building homes and they decided to direct their, their focus inwards onto smaller objects inside the home. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of where everyone's life is right now. Like if you gave someone the choice between uh, a really nice um, home or being connected to all their friends on social media, uh, it's kind of strange that that would, <laughs> that would be a really hard decision for some people. <laughs> but, um, it, but they're, they're two of the same items to a degree. Um, mm. they're built with both, they're built both with love and they're built both to, to make you want them. 
because um, mm. a designer built the, <laughs> built both of them and gave equal amount of attention to it. That's very cool. Like, yeah, I haven't thought about it in 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 that way. I think the the closest I can get to to um, thinking because we kind of, I guess we we take the things around us maybe not for granted, but it's almost like it's done. It's like that, and and you know you you like it or you don't like it. Then it's obviously you know somebody's job to create that. And I think um, I used to work with. Um, on the marketing of a company who does lighting. And when I started working with them, I was like, well, you know, we obviously need lighting, you know, on and off it's dark other ways. And that was about it. Like in my head, you know, that's what lighting does. And then you start, when I started working with them, you're like, wow, this, you know, so much like literally, for example, like they would do um, the lighting, I don't know if it's called lighting architecture or what is it of a garden. And it completely changes the space and, in homes as well. And you realize there's so much more to it that like people are not even uh, realizing and utilizing in the best possible way. And I guess it's, it's similar um, in your case, when, when, when you start, I think you had it on your website um, where you said you're designing for people and that ultimately Mm. that's the, that's the goal of it. It's very much, it's very much so like that. Like, and I, I use homes a lot as kind of descriptive factors because it's easy for people to, to kind of gravitate towards that. Um, but like a mm-hmm. bad home, um, that then is remodeled and fixed up and becomes a brilliant home. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we do with products all the time. So there's like, like a lot of these companies like Herman Miller and all stuff like that, they've been around for, for years now. And there are some great designs that they've had that have kind of lived past the brand, but then there's also stuff that they've needed to reinvent and change and, and make different. And that's, you know, it's just, it's, that's just part of life, right? Um, you kind of have to re readapt, reinvent, even if it's something that lives forever, like architecture. Mm. Absolutely. And actually, I guess it's an extra challenge when you're designing, you know, doing it, like you're designing a website. It's like, it's not just, we go, we, we may have to, you know, you're going to change it, you know, in months, even sometimes too. And when it's, when you're talking architecture, yeah, you're, you're talking about, you know, things that's going to last potentially forever. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting. So, um, as an industrial designer, we're kind of like a general contractor (laughs) where we're the first person who's brought on to a project before they hire engineers, before they hire like a UX Mm -hmm. person. Um, we're the first person that they bring onto the project and they're like, can this be done? (laughs) Most of the time, um, we have to do a little bit of research, do a little bit of due diligence, figure out, can it be done if it's something extreme? Or we can be like, yeah, go ahead. We've seen this before. Um, should be no problem. We should be able to develop it. Um, but you know, you bring the uh, engineers in, you bring the UX team in, and the funny part about UX is it's so new. Uh, UI UX technically has only been around for 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 a couple of decades right now. Um, like the first UI UX was on a printer. Um, mm. That's like the first screen that someone had to interact with and had to press <laughs> a button. Uh, was on a Xerox printer. Um, that's kind of crazy. So if you think about that, like the first homes that were built were kind of rubbish, right? <laughs> so <laughs> they're kind of bad in the beginning and we're kind of still in that awkward phase. Like everyone who's UI UX, not, not to say that their work is bad or anything, the work is great, but like we're at the very forefront of that design and we haven't hit its golden age yet. Where architecture has been in its golden age for for years now, decades, centuries, 
Um, mm. And industrial design has finally worked itself into that golden age. Um, and now UI UX was born from that and it's kind of in its infancy. And eventually, you know, in a couple more decades, it'll be in its golden age as well. Mm. Yeah, it's, I, I can see it, I can't help myself, but uh, see parallels with, with domain names since I work with domain names, but it's very similar in a way that, um, as you said, you know, we've had homes like for as long as humanity has existed, I guess, in a way or another, but it's just now that you're getting to have the understanding and the need and the skills to do what you do and it's developing into a thing. Um, and and I guess where where I see it with domains, it's we, I mean, domains have been there for as long as the internet has been around and only now are people starting to, following the example, I guess, of big companies who've learned it and, you know, had the cash, I guess, and the opportunity to learn the hard way, pay for their mistakes and learn that it goes beyond just the technicality of, you know, the domain name. It, it actually is a brand asset. So people are starting to see it as that and pay a lot more attention and have domain strategies, et cetera, et cetera. Which mm. brings me to um, a question. Um, of the, the idea of choosing your name as the brand name and the, the, the company is called that. I mean, uh, people like are very much, there are opinions for and against that. What was your reasoning for, for that choice? I literally love this question. Um, it's <laughs> one of my favorite questions to answer because it's the correct choice. And the reason it's the correct choice is because you have to spend marketing dollars. Um, there's a, a, a famous marketing um, an advertiser who says, once you stop marketing, you die. 100% true, right? 100% true. And if you're a startup company, um, and we could, we could use like banks. So we could say Bank of America versus Charles Schwab, right? Or Chase Bank or JP Morgan, right? Um, they all could have chose names like full legitimate names, or they could have chose kind of, you know, Bank of America. But the thing is, is you have to market two things at that time. Then um, mm. you have to market Bank of America, and then you have to market its founders when it's in its infancy, um, or you can just choose to market one, the name of the company and the name of the founder, right? So mm -hmm. in the very, very beginning, it saves you money and it's something that you still can sell off because we've seen all these other big guys and big giants sell it off, but it's, it actually saves you money and allows you to put your marketing dollars in one place. Cause with, um, something like, um, JP Morgan, that actual individual, he was able to, become such an elaborate individual because of that Goldman Sachs, stuff like that. Um, cause they're putting all their marketing dollars in one basket. So, and you can also think of that as dividing it up. So if you were dividing your marketing cash flow up and you, let's say we had a hundred dollars and you put $50 into yourself and $50 into your company, um, you would get one interview and your company would get one article about them. Um, but mm. if you put it all in the same place, uh, that interview, is for you and your company. That article is for your company and it's for you at the same time. And mm. so now you technically get two for the two separate entities because it technically is two separate entities. Um, but a lot of people look at it as one entity. Um, when it, it's kind of, it's always been two separate entities. It's just a visual and a mental thing. Mm. No, I can absolutely, and, and it has been a, a trend, and I, I guess there are industries where it works 
more than others. We, we've had, we've had a, um, an article about it, like personal names used as, as brand names. And they are, I think especially nowadays, and that's probably why it's more and more popular, especially nowadays where like you, people are so uh, personal about the businesses and brands they interact with. Like they, they, it's not just, you know, you can put whatever advertising you want, whatever and whatever images and I don't know, like um, pictures and hire celebrities, even people are still going to look at who works in that company, you know, who is the CEO, what are they doing? What are they saying? It's, it's really become the, so personal. Um, and I think it's, it's only going to continue in that direction um, and I like using my kids. I know they're not like statistically representative of all the kids, even though, you know, I have four, but still um, at how they interact with brands. And it's really, I find it's a very good insight of where, where things are going. And like the older ones, when they're buying stuff, I can see them immediately taking the phones out. And if it's a brand, they don't know they're, they're looking at, you know, who's the CEO, what are their opinions on whatever issues, which, I can see how it makes it harder for, you know, anyone running a company. But on the other hand, I guess it's the good type of uh, challenge where people just have to be authentic and, and, and you just can't lie anymore about, you know, who you are. So if there is that real huge gap between you as a person and you as a, you know, owner of that brand, then there's, there's an issue there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing too to point out is it used to be, all names. Like it used to be like companies were just names. Mm. Um, like that house was built by, you know, XYZ, that item, that tool, that hammer was built by XYZ. It really only came about like, really it's, it started, um, kind of in the sixties is when you started to have these kind of names started to appear that were unassociated with humans. So like the Swiffer company and stuff like that. That's when you started to have those companies come about and it's become kind of a trend to not name your company um, after yourself or not name an item um, after something. Items are kind of different. Items kind of have gone in that ambiguous zone uh, much sooner. Uh, But normally it was your name is your company. And then there was this whole fad of of companies not being named. And so everyone's like, I'm not going to name my my company (laughs) similar to myself as well. But it really, it's, it's, it's a challenge when you do that. You, you spend more money not naming your company after yourself. And ultimately, if, if you're, let's say you have all the money in the world and the other company has all the money in the world and the other company is marketing one name and then you're marketing two names, you're still going to lose out. Um, the, the marketing will never overlap. And that's something like, um, you can see it in a clear industry. Like let's pick an industry that's kind of like, whatever, right. Um, a real estate agent, right. If he's part of a like company, a real estate agent is part of, let's say a brokerage that's like Southern bell real estate or something like that. Uh, you'll never know your realtor. Um, so that realtor will have to market and the company will have to market for itself too, to have leads coming in where if it was just the name, if it was just, um, you know, X, Y, Z, you just have to market for one. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And wh- what about the domain name? You you got the exact um, match domain name with the dot com. What was I mean? What was the process? What was the reasoning there? So um, the 
exact match name. Um, so when I was 13 is when um, <clears throat> we acquired the domain name. Really? So, That's so yeah, cool. You, to be honest, you have to acquire your domain. Yeah, the, during the dot-com bubble is when you had to get your dot-com. If you didn't get your dot-com during the dot-com bubble, it's kind of like gone in a way. There's a bunch, there's a lot of actual Jackson Headens out there. Um, I was the lucky one at 13 to say, <laughs> oh, hey, we need to get that that domain registered. Um, it, you can kind of think of it as like all those really classic names as well. Like um, there's just, it, you know, it unless you have a trademark, I think, well, because then you can kind of, that's a whole side tangent, but I think you have to have the full name and it has to be a .com. As much as I like .co's and .io's, .io's I think is one of the one kind of uh, uh, initials after the dot that's coming up that's going to be really big. And it's just because it's associated with AI. I think .io's are going to be kind of like, it, you can kind of think of them as like .org for schools, but I think .io will be much more influential. Uh, you know, they try to do with a bunch of other ones, .studio, .design, but they just don't work. I think you have to be a .com, and I would say maybe a secondary runner-up is a .io. Mm. Yeah, I, I do have my... Well, we have a whole article on that as well on extensions, but the .io is actually a country extension, so there's a whole bunch of issues underlying there, uh, which maybe the future will be solved, but I wouldn't advise a business to to build on, on that. But yeah, I agree with you. And you, you actually, that's a very cool story that you got the name when you were 13, because it was obviously before you launched the business and everything. So it's, um yeah. You, it's you had to, it's kind of like all gone now. Like the dot coms, <laughs> you're either throwing up some random numbers and uh, a name to get your website or whatever. Hmm. No, that, that was a, that was a smart move. <laughs> we had a, a client that recently came to us and they're like, Oh, our name's going to be, um, I don't, I don't want to throw their name out here cause they're not kind of <laughs> like fully launched, but, um, and they're like, we're going to get a dot X, Y, Z. And I was like, how I janky is that? I was, like, <laughs> I was like, you can't do that. And, and another big thing for everyone too is, um, is since we're talking about names and stuff, look up these names before you decide to name yourself that like look up these names see how prevalent they are if this if like you if your name is alexander mcqueen and and you thought you've never heard of that designer before and then you look up alexander mcqueen change your name make it something else because you're just Mm -hmm. competing with everyone else in that category you just need to have kind of its own authenticity it needs to be different but then it also needs to be singular so that it's marketing for both of you guys. But I think because when we, it's just a side note for that project we do with him, his name was associated with six other companies that had been around for 50 years. Ouch, there's no yeah. way you're going to compete with 50 years of SEO or not. You, there's not 50 years of SEO, but there's no way you're going <laughs> to compete with that amount of SEO. Uh, Cause they were there from the start of the internet and there's no way you're going to compete with with just the brand presence they already have. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, I think that's the best advice probably because um, I, I have people coming up to me and, and, you know, asking about like, what's the best name? What's the, you know, best domain? And because we work, like we 
we have chosen to work with only .com names and very particular names that are like considered, you know, not considered, they are high end, they're very sought after, like you said, all the, you know, decent names are gone. So, so basically um, they, they are on the secondary market and people expect me to just say, oh, you know, just, uh, it's a .com and it's a, it's like, I'm not saying it because I work with them. It's the other way around. I work with those names because, you know, the reality of it is, what you just said, you are going to end up, um, if you, if you don't have the right name, you're going to end up spending that money trying to get where you're trying to get in competition with it. So in a way you are going to spend that money. It's just, you're never going to own it. You're never going to own that brand. So you're just going to be throwing your money in the bin. So there are cases where, um, and we've we've seen cases like that with with domains where you would have what you said. You would have a few brands that are established, maybe not fifty year old brands, but usually the fifty year old brands have it sorted <laughs> with their names. But we, we've seen cases where you have a few brands that are established and they have a dot X Y Z or dot whatever, and there's a new brand that is well funded that comes and gets the exact brandmatch.com name. And, and, you know, they, they're picking up, obviously, all the traffic and just the authority that comes with that name. So it is doable, but as a startup, if you don't have that sort of a huge backing and budget, like just think about really the name and the matching domain before you, you like throw yourself into committing to that brand name. 100%. I mean, I, I think we, we lose it on clients when they, when they buy um, anything other than a .com. Uh, just cause you just, you make it so much harder on yourself to, to do mm. anything. And then if someone then comes around with that, with that .com name and then decides that they're going to launch a competitive product to your offering, you are hosed. Cause no one's ever going to think you're the real one. Yeah, Everyone's going to think the .com is the real one. And yeah. it's, it's just, it hoses you. We had um, a, a company that was selling a good and they had the most strange website um ever the they should have just picked a different name everything should have just been changed but um they didn't and they ended up having to spend basically a hundred and twenty thousand dollars to purchase the dot com um because that person then started basically hosting their competitors mm. you know it he was probably making 60k a month hosting those competitors and he was like well you can buy it for 120 because of x you know it for for names on the internet, it, it kind of gets into this gray zone where you can kind of, you know, force people to sell over in certain situations, but I wouldn't rely on those situations. I don't think they're common. Mm. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it is, that's why I, I mean, I, I keep saying in anybody in, in the industry and I'm actually amazed. Why is it not everybody like, it's really fragmented because you have, um, the naming people, for example, like you would hire somebody to come up with a name, but they wouldn't even look at domain names. It's like, how, how can you do that? Like, how can you advise? And I've seen pretty large companies spend pretty like solid budgets on somebody coming up with a name and then they go, Oh, but we don't have the name. It's like, what's the point? <laughs> what are you doing? Well, so this is, this is what I feel about graphic designers. So I feel like graphic designers are, um, and I'm not trying to, but I feel like they're pottery makers. They <laughs> had, they were at their prime at one point and everyone was buying pots and pans and, and buying pottery to store their, their food and their water in. 
And then those pottery makers advanced <laughs> into manufacturing <laughs> processes. And then those, those few pottery makers stood behind. I feel like that's graphic designers, graphic mm. designers. They're like, I'll name you, I'll give you a brand. And then they never look it up on the website. They never mm. do any of like the digging. And you're just like, how we, we've worked with like big, big dogs. And they're like, Oh yeah, we didn't look it up. And we were like, how, how did you not look this up? This is <laughs> yep. The whole reason you're making this brand is to be online. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You summed it up very well there. Well, let's hope, let's hope people, people like get it right. And the time, funny thing is that they, I mean, if you stick around for long enough, you know, having a business online, which is, I mean, honestly, any business nowadays, like literally even like the, the small shops down the road, they have a website and social media presence. You just can't, can't just not be online nowadays. So, but yeah, if you've been on it for long enough, you are going to get to those conclusions. It's just going to cost you a lot of time and, and money. So, um, and, and that's, uh, uh, you probably have the same experience with people that you work with or companies that you work with when it's the second, third, fourth time around, they're doing something. They're like, I oh, know I, I need to absolutely get that right now. But you know, when it's the first time you, you can like hit your head against a brick wall and they're not going to hear you, unfortunately, but I guess that's, that's just human, <laughs> human nature. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It, that second time around, they're so, they're so much more willing to listen but, you know, a better product comes around the second time around. I think that should be a statement for all all kind of service-based industries. Is like, your first time is going to be rough. Your second time you'll listen to us, <laughs> it'll be easy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I, I had that when I was, um, like, now I'm naming domains. But before that, I was um, I had a company for websites and software, and I've literally had cases where people would come with a budget and everything, and we talk about things, and I'm, like, realistically saying, them, okay, you should do this and that, and that's the best way to do that, and, da, 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 and they go, yeah, but, you know, we want it cheaper, whatever. It's like, I cannot do it cheaper. And like three, four, five months down the road, they come around, they say, okay, we went out and found the cheaper solution and it all went wrong. And can you help us now? But we don't have any budget left. <laughs> so, <laughs> we see that all the time. We have the same, it, um, uh, good design is expensive. Cheap design is costly. Um, because if you spend the money up front, you're going to get what you, what you paid for. Um, you don't, you choose not to spend that money up front. You're just going to, you know, run around in circles and waste your money. We actually, so in the industrial design uh, sector, uh, there's a lot of kind of these scams going around where they, they'll be like, Oh yeah, we'll build your product. Never build it, never make anything working. And it's just like a thing. Um, hmm. that never made it to fruition. Oh yeah. There are some really, really big old companies that do that all the time. Wow. That's actually, oh yeah. Let's make that a question. What, what are some like red flags? What should people be aware when they're looking and what are good signs, I guess, when they're looking for, for a good industrial designer? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, the main thing I would look for is have they, can they take your product to manufacturing? And not like just, is it possible? Can they, mm. do they know manufacturers? Can they take it to um, manufacturing? That's the biggest problem is um, a lot of companies can't take your product to manufacturing. They may be able to design it, but then they're like, SOL when it comes to manufacturing, like 
and a good, a good, like, you know, uh, a good kind of question to ask is like, how much do you think this item would cost in China? And, mm. uh, if they say, like, let's say we're talking about jewelry, like a stainless steel piece of jewelry, like a, a necklace, if they say, you know, $13, $18, run away, run away. <laughs> if they say like, you know, a dollar to like $5, that's a legitimate company that's probably manufactured that before or has done their due diligence, knows exactly how much it would cost and can give you a, a proper quote. That's the ultimate way of, of judging, um, kind of uh, judging firms is, can they go to manufacturing? Because half the mm. time they just don't. And and that's where people are SOL. Mm. Cool. Right. Um, we're, we're kind of getting ahead in terms of time. I don't want to keep you on for too long. Let's get to my usual last question is, what are you looking forward to? What are you up to like now in the business? What are you developing at the moment? Um, I, you know, for us, um, so everyone, we're, we're, in a, we're in a recession everywhere around the world. It's just our life but this is the biggest opportunity anyone could have right like the last recession that everyone went through giants were made that's where we saw some of these huge companies become just the standard this is like the mm. biggest time for us to grow in general and what we're trying to do is we're trying to become uh, more of a contract manufacturer over um just so you're aware of like um like just America in general, we really don't have like contract manufacturers uh, here mm. in America. We have some manufacturers that make some things, but are not willing to make anything else. So if they make boats, they only make boats. Even though it could transfer over into something else, they won't make anything else. Mm. So we're trying to become a contract manufacturer for like consumer product design. So like things that could actually be um, sold in other countries, but you know, could be manufactured here. Um, we used to do it a lot in America. It basically, um, it all fizzled out like in kind of the eighties to seventies, uh, eighties and seventies was kind of the best. And then it fizzled out after that. Um, a lot of like plastic components back then were actually made in the States and then it went offshore. Um, not necessarily because, uh, it was, it was mainly a, a thing on tariffs. Um, there was no kind of incentive. Uh, so you're aware too, as well. Um, a lot of countries have funding from their government for manufacturing because it's, it's so valuable, right? It would be like, imagine if all your homes were built over in Sweden and then were shipped over on a boat to then to, to, to America, that would be insane. You'd be like, that's, that's crazy. Um, and it's kind of the same thing for products. Like a majority of countries don't manufacture any of their products. Um, mm. a few do. Um, but you know, there's kind of, it's interesting. The countries that are the most vulnerable to this are the, the ones with the most money to spend, but mm. all the other countries that have kind of low, low amount of budget to spend, they're always, um, they always make products. They always make products no matter what, whether it's a hat or clothing or some sort of mm. device, because it's a necessity. And I think a lot of um, older countries that have the equity and the budget to spend on all this other stuff have forgotten that it's a necessity to spend pro uh, to make your products at mm. home. And mm. so, what Absolutely. we're trying to do is make we're trying to make goods that are um, going to be available 
in the States that are consumer goods, small items, not, not cars, mm. not homes, something that is tangible to hold. Mm. Very cool. Yeah, you can, you need to write about that. Like that, that's a really cool story. And, and it works on so many levels, even down to um, like uh, young people now, I'm old now, I can say young people, <laughs> are so much more aware and concerned about like down to the environment and the, you know, ethically doing things and, and researching into all that. And what you just said, like that, you know, shipping, I've had some, I don't know, that's a really silly, probably example, but like I've had, you know, like you order some balloons online and, and they come with a package like that from, I don't know where, do you know what I mean? It's like, just, I, I'm like, how is that even viable economically, let alone, you know, ecologically saying all of it, it, it's just crazy. Well, and it, it's totally possible to make, we can make, all right, so there's a couple of items that are made around the world, right? Homes are one of them. You're not gonna, you're not gonna buy a home from somewhere else and have it shipped to not gonna work. Um, jewelry is another one. So like high end jewelry, um, since gold's the same amount of money everywhere else in the world, uh, it doesn't change. Mm. Jewelry traditionally is this, uh, is made in that country or in that state. Um, and consumer goods are, are traditionally can be the same price. Um, it's just the reason it's not is because America for all of its, <laughs> its worth decided that it wasn't going to subsidize uh, manufacturing where other countries have made that smart bet and they started subsidizing um, manufacturing, which is key. Um, if you want a, a great Swiss watch, you go to Switzerland, right? There are certain countries that own particular manufacturing methodology. You want a great robust car. Everyone thinks of Germany. It's, it's because they put money behind, uh, behind their, their force. And, and that's great. Like, you want to see that there's subsidies in everything, healthcare, uh, real estate. Um, it should also be there in consumer product design. It would just make our lives better and easier. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that and then where you go next to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Smart Branding Podcast. Feel free to visit smartbranding.com for more information and reach out if you have any suggestions, questions, ideas, or just want to learn more about how a good domain name strategy can help you build a strong and successful brand. See you next time.